Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Cool Sore Podcast, where we highlight men and women in Black Greek letter organizations, as well as cool people all over the world, because everybody knows somebody who is extra cool. And because you have clicked the download button and the subscribe button, you are one of those people. So thank you so much for your support. Speaking of support, we always need your five-star reviews. And I'd love for you to be the review of the week. I'd like to read what you have to say about our podcast. So make sure you do that on iTunes so that we can continue to see how we are doing. And I hope that you are continuing to enjoy the Cool Sore podcast. Uh, before we get into our next episode, which is a special episode, I hope you enjoyed Tuesday's episode with Jen Price, who launched the Kickstarter campaign for her Build the Boutique campaign, her push uh, for the Atlanta Beer Boutique. And we are asking for your support. Every little bit counts. $5, $10, $20, $50, whatever you'd like to give, log on to atlantabeerboutique.com and just click the support button and help Jen Price raise her $25,000 goal so that she can have some seed money to open her beer shop in 2019, the brick and mortar itself, atlantabeerboutique.com. Today is a very special edition of the Cool Sword Podcast because the microphone has been turned around. Yes, Wendell Cole, who has been on the show, he is a cool bruh of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, has his own podcast, which is called Convos with Cole, and he interviewed me, and I wanted to show him some love by posting his particular episode right here on the Cool Sword Podcast, so you guys will get to learn a little bit more about me, but if you've been following this podcast, a lot of the stuff that I may say, you may already know, but if not, here's an introduction to who I am, a little bit of piece of me. Well, I guess more than a piece of me, a whole lot of pieces of me. So I hope you enjoy this particular episode and support his podcast as well. So here is my conversation with Cole, and I hope you enjoy. You know you gotta be a cool soror to talk to the cool soror herself. I'm a cool soror. Hey, y'all. I am a cool soror of... What's up, y'all? I'm a cool soror of... Hi, I am a cool soror. It's the Cool Soror Podcast, hosted by me, Rashawn Ali. Welcome yet to another episode of Convos with Cole. This is your host, Wendell Cole. And it is my job to speak to successful people from different walks of life and find out the habits, the stories, the tricks, the mindsets, the routines of what make these people successful. And I am so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, her name is Rashan Ali. Now, a little bit about Rashan Ali. She is a multimedia personality. Her list of things she has done is huge. <laughs> like, it would take me maybe five, ten minutes going down everything that she's done just to speak about it in this introduction. She attended Florida A&M as a broadcast journalism major. She got involved in radio. She was on she was hosting the 18 Morning Show on Hot 107.9. She also co-hosted the Ryan Cameron Afternoon Show on V103. She currently serves as the co-host of Sister Circle, which is on TV1 every day. It is a show and she also is the host of the Cool Soror podcast, where you can find she interviews men and women 
in Greek black lettered organizations. Wink, wink. I am in an episode. So when you get a chance, go over there and check out her podcast at Cool Sora Podcast. And today is awesome because we kind of talk about a lot of different things. We speak about her life. We speak about her and sports and the discipline that she's gotten from that. We speak about radio, TV, um, tips and tricks of, of how to get into media as well as what you should do with your kid's name. You know, she has a very, uh, very good tip of what you should be doing. Even even before your kid is born, when you're thinking of naming your kid, she gives you something that is very good to do. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoy my interview with Rashawn Ali. You are now tuned into Convos with Cole. This is Sean Ali. I want to welcome you to the show. I know we just spoke for a little while uh, mm-hmm. on your podcast, but I want to, again, thank you for being on mine in return. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And and again, I, I love how we met um, at the gathering spot. <laughs> yeah. We were just recording here. I was like, I, I, had, I, was like, I had to go speak to her. I was like, I have to go say something. You're interviewing somebody else. And now we're here. So again, I'm so glad that we were able to schedule out a time to record today. I am uh, looking forward to the conversation. So I, I really kind of just wanted to start off with a quote that you posted on uh, your Instagram. <laughs> and it you, you said, you either live in circumstance or you live in vision. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to get like, what does that mean to you? And is there is there a story behind it? Oh, wow. Whew. You're going to start off heavy, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I just believe that um, you have to know that where you are, well, you have to really understand and appreciate moments and really create your experiences. And a lot of times when we are, the, the experience or the circumstance is not, a circumstance is not where we want it to be, we're so caught up in that moment that, that we don't understand that there's something greater either coming or something greater that we can create for ourselves. So we have to pick one that is going to be uh, beneficial to the greater thought of who we are. And so I've just been on a, a very serious spiritual journey uh, recently reading um, conversations with God and just really mm-hmm taking myself to higher levels when it comes to spirituality, because I want to go, I I just know that there's more than just the surface of what, you know, we've been uh, brought up to believe or what we really didn't have a choice, but to believe. And so that's kind of where I am. And it's been really good for me. And, you know, I can't talk about anybody else's journey. But for me and where I am and my spirituality and uh, me tapping into the deeper, my deeper uh, spirit, it's been really, really beneficial to my growth as a person. And so that quote was, you know, really kind of it is resonating just how I'm moving now in my spiritual walk. Oh, I love it. I yeah. Love it. What a way to start off. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so what I kind of like to do is just rewind a little bit. And for the people that may not know who you are, can we just give a little bit of background on Rashi, uh, on Rashawn Ali and like kind of what do you do? 
So I am an all around cool chick. I really <laughs> think I'm one of the coolest people like ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I am a, a multimedia personality, philanthropist, author. I'm a Decatur. I went. I grew up in Decatur, Georgia, born in Atlanta, and I went to college at Florida A&M University on a swimming and academic scholarship, swimming and academic scholarships. But I, I've always been a, a, a multimedia personality. I started off in radio here in Atlanta in 2002, and I did 12 years of radio uh, on three major stations, um, Hot 107.9, V103, and 94.5. So that gave me my foundation. But the goal was always television. So in that time, while I was doing a radio, primarily the first five years of radio, it was just radio, but I was the sideline reporter, inter-arena sideline reporter for the Atlanta Hawks, mm-hmm. and I did sideline reporting for uh, the Southern Conference, and then uh, my career began to elevate CBS Sports Network. Um, I did sports for CNN and Headline News on the weekend for Weekend Express. Uh, I hosted a show for the Atlanta Falcons called Falcons Rise Up Weekly on the CW Network, and... Um, what else have I done? And I currently am one of the co-hosts on Sister Circle Live, which is on TV One daily. It's a daily talk show from 9 to 1. I'm sorry, 9 to 10 a.m. That's Monday through Friday. But uh, I've always been someone who has given back to the community. So I founded my own nonprofit called Sporty Girls Incorporated back in 2006. And I, um, it was the mission is to encourage girls of color, minority girls, to participate and swimming, soccer, tennis, golf, and we just added lacrosse to our mission actually this year uh, while increasing their lifestyle skills, um, athletic skills, and academic skills. So we've been doing work in and around the metro Atlanta area since 2008 was the program when we started programming. And we've only taken a break in 2017 just to revamp. We got a new brand new board, brand new mission, brand new website, brand new logo yeah. that we just r- launched actually this week. So um, I'm the author of a children's book called Piper Sky's Pink Popsicle Shoes. So I've done that as well. I am a married mother of two girls and uh, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, a good friend, a good daughter, a good sister. Uh, I, I, I consider myself a, a pretty good person. So Love that it. is my my short version of a whole <laughs> whole lot of living. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you uh, grew up in Decatur. And mm-hmm. so what, I kind of want to know what kind of a household did you grow up in? Like, what, what were your parents like? I would say we were the Cosby show meets the Simpsons. So, you know, my parents, my mom was, um, she was the head of social work, social services at Emory Hospital. Back in the 80s, she was one of the only black executives at Emory Hospital. So uh, she was very, you know, she, she had a high power job early on. And then she decided to retire when she was 40. Yeah. And she came back home and then she um, started baking cookies and crocheting. And I was like, who is this lady? <laughs> know this lady and but you know she wanted to tap into the other side of herself and then she eventually because she had her master's she taught actually at Morehouse School of Medicine Um, um, I think she did uh, like a master's of public health class or something like that one of those classes one of those classes that folks have to take um, and she taught at Clark and so she just did a lot of stuff um, just to kind of make sure she kept her skills sharp and be able to kind of give back in that way and my dad 
is a retired teacher. He was an English teacher, and he is the winningest high school football coach in DeKalb County history <laughs> at Southwest DeKalb High School. So um, his name is Buck Godfrey. So I uh, am from a pretty uh, stable, middle-class household. My parents have been married 49 years. They still live in the same home that they brought me home from the hospital from wow. in Decatur. And uh, I have an older brother. He and I are very close. He just called me about an hour ago. We don't go at least we don't go three days without speaking to one another Great. in some way, shape or form with whether it's text or um, or a phone call. So very close knit family. Um, and uh, I had an amazing childhood. I really did. That's great. It seems like your yeah. mom kind of just did what she wanted to do uh, or kind of, I guess, chased, chased her dreams. Is that something that you kind of feel like you, you picked up on? Well, I just have always been an overachiever and ambitious. So I guess, um, but my parents are, uh, folks that, you know, are very successful and, and everything that they've done. So I probably did get that from them and just, you know, their level of expectations was pretty high for us. And, um, we wanted to live up to those expectations. So I guess it, it, it truly did rub off. We saw them being, great at what they do, but always having that um, humane side of them that was vulnerable and also knew how to um, share with others. So I, I think I got that from, from, from both of them. Yeah. Is there, is there anything that your parents have told you that has stuck with you, you know, all throughout adulthood and that pretty much will stuck you, is stuck with you for the rest of your life? Well, I just think that they have always um, believed in us and believed in the dreams that we have for ourselves, even though mine was a little bit different. My brother is a he's a computer analyst, so he, you know, took that side of the brain. But I'm always I've always been the artist. So, um, you know, that was hard for my mother, especially because, you know, I worked in the music and I, I skipped a lot of stuff. I was left eyes personal assistant from TLC before she passed away. And then oh, I wow. ended up working at, yeah, ended up working at LaFace Records and the, on the label side of things. And back then, the, the you know, being in the music industry was like, whoa, that's a big deal. Yeah. They're no longer like that now because major labels aren't just, they're just not as, um, you know, there's so many ways to get music and produce music and put music out there now. But back then it was, um, that's pretty much all you had to be successful in the music industry, there was no indie label that you, you could, there was no chance to rapper and that kind of thing, you know? So I think that, that she was a little bit scared of what that life was. Um, and so she would always say, Shawnee is not you, it's other people. But, you know, I had to, I had to navigate those waters myself and see what it was like. And, um, you know, I came out on the bright side of it. Wow. I, I really didn't know your personal assistant. What, what got you into, you know, wanting to be in the music industry at that time? Well, I didn't even know I wanted to be. I really wanted to. Um, <laughs> I graduated from Florida A&M um, in 1997, and I had a degree uh, with a degree in broadcast journalism, but I really wanted to be a filmmaker. So I applied to NYU, Florida State, American University, and I didn't get into any one of them except for American University. And so I went to D.C., and I visited the school, and I'm like, oh, this is great. I get my Master of Arts. I really want to be a black director, so much so that the Spring 97 line, I was their assistant dean of pledges. My gift from them was a director's chair because oh, my man. yeah my name was Big Sister Tight to Death because I was just so cool, of course. <laughs> so the, everybody knew that that was my dream, and so um, I went up there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to grad school, assuming that my parents would pay for it. You know, they didn't pay for my brother or myself 
for undergrad. He was on football scholarship. I was on swimming and academic scholarships. I'm like, oh, yeah, they'll pay for grad school. Well, my mother said no. She said no to grad school without any real um, explanation. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that I still, even at 42, I deal with that I've had to actually, it's come up in my therapy classes. You know what I mean? My therapy sessions. Yeah, because it was a dream. It was a, I needed that for more than just being a future director. I needed that for me uh, being by myself because I went from my parents' home to college, back to my parents' home, to living with my brother, to being married. So there was no time for me to discover me hmm. in a sense. Yeah. With i.e. being alone, i.e. having, you know, you know, wine and cheese just on a uh, on a Wednesday night by myself in my house. Right. You know, I didn't I didn't experience those things and I think that's very important. And not that that I missed out, but I never will know that side of my life. And I and I think that I attribute that to the fact that I could not go to film school. And that was and, you know, she later apologized, saying that that was one of the greatest mistakes that she made as a parent because I had to come back home. And now I didn't have a plan B or C. That was my plan. A. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to go to film school. So that so now I had to come back and they had to you know, my parents hooked me up with a job with a family friend that accounts payable at the Atlanta Board of Education. I don't even like math. I hate math. Uh, that's not my thing. <laughs> And then I worked at uh, Fox Sports South on a show called Countdown to Signing Day. It was a high school football recruiting show as a PA. Um, so I was like making five seventy five an hour. Mm-hmm. Like this was in the you know the late nineties. Yeah. And um, and so one of my friends who I grew up swimming with, she was working at an insurance company, and she happened to be on the phone with uh, left the president of Left Eyes Production Company. Her name is Ida, who I just recently talked to, and so. She was like, hey, you know, Lisa's looking for a new assistant. Do you know anybody who would be interested? And so he yells over to my friend, hey, you know anybody that's in, in the entertainment business that may want to do it? She's like, yeah, my friend Rashawn, she's always kind of been in entertainment. Because all of my friends have known, like, my entire life, I've always been the person that's on the microphone, trying to be in plays, doing movies. Like, you know, just kind of that person. You kind of know that. Everybody remembers that person in their childhood, either yeah. they, um, you know, became successful at that thing that they dreamed of or they're, they were like, yeah, I remember how, you know, how they used to be the star and everything. And so that was kind of like my life. And, uh, she said, yeah, I think that she would be cool. So the lady called my parents' house cause that was before like cell phones like that were popular. Yeah. And she left a message with my dad and she, and my, the message said, Ida Hall, or Ida Harris, I don't know if she had been married at that point, said, called, Left eye needs a new assistant. So I looked at the piece of paper because he left it on my bed. And the first thing I said, I was like, no, nah, that girl burned down houses. I ain't going to call this lady back. <laughs> and then something told me to call her back. And I did. And literally, I went in an interview with Ida. Then I went to Lisa's house. And like within a week, I was her personal assistant. And it was crazy. It was crazy. But throughout that process, I learned um, the first thing is that these artists are people de- depend on them for everything. They are just leeches. And one thing that she told me, she said, Rashawn, the, the one thing that I respect and love about you, no, she said, you're one of the only people that are around me that doesn't want anything from me. I didn't need anything from Lisa mm-hmm. at all. You know, cause I, I, I came from, you know, I, I would never ask her for anything. And, um, so that was the one thing that she said. And then another thing that she said to me, she's like, you're, you're really a star. Like, 
you're going to do something. I don't know what it is, but you're going to do something very special. And I never forgot those things. Um, and so we worked together for about a year and I was very young. And so I didn't really understand the power of follow up. I didn't understand the power of like, cause you really had two artists together, which really wasn't <laughs> conducive to something being great because we both were kind of flighty, yeah. but you know, um, an artist in the sense of I'm a media girl. So, you know, I, I just, uh, that didn't, didn't work out, but it was great because we, we still remain friends and I started working at the label in the music video department. So I was responsible for, you know, getting the videos done and, and commissioning, uh, directors and that kind of stuff. So, uh, she passed away before she ever heard me on the radio. No, she heard me on the radio when I first got in radio. I think she did. Yes, she did. Cause she died in 03. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. She died in 02. But I'd only been on the radio like a month or two, so I was hoping that she had she had um heard me, but I'm not sure if she did. Wow. That yeah. wow. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And it's funny that you actually say that the whole part about um not wanting anything, because I was recently watching a like a Mike Tyson documentary and he was saying that, you know, now that he after he lost a lot of his money that he was a lot happier because there were, there wasn't anybody people didn't want anything because everybody mm-hmm. around him wanted something. Yeah. And he was just, he was Zen man. That's yeah. Wow. That's yeah, it's a lot. I know it's a lot. <laughs> so I, I want to rewind really quick and yeah. I want to talk about your passion for sports um, because mm-hmm. you know, you've done competitive swimming. This is at least what I've read since the age of five received a full yep. scholarship for it. And now, of course, like you just said earlier, you have a nonprofit for girls in sports. What are what are some of the like the lessons or the you know the disciplines uh-huh. that you learned from swimming or you know being an athlete that have that have stuck with you throughout even up to this day? Oh man, discipline! Discipline is the first thing. Um, um, but you know, I grew up in a sports household. My dad being the coach at Southwest Cab, I'm always you know I was Coach Godfrey's daughter, and so like the name of my company, my LLC is called The Coach's Daughter, and then my book is Piper Sky, The Coach's Daughter. So I've always been the coach's daughter, and my mom actually coached Pop Warner football too, and she her team, <laughs> the one season, one team that she coached, they were undefeated. And so, you know, I've always been around sports. My brother played football. I did um, softball, basketball, soccer, um, obviously swimming, jazz, tap, ballet, anything that you could think of doing when it came to uh, extracurricular activities involving sports, um, I did. And there were there was a my dad was my swim coach as well, uh, especially until I started taking it a little bit more seriously when I started swimming year round. But no time I was three until um, really about, was it probably like 13, 14, that age group, my dad was our coach and we had a relay team that broke records from the time we were nine and 10 to that age group, 13, 14. And our last record we broke in 1985, but it was just, uh, not last, I'm sorry. The last standing record was just broken, um, about three years ago. And we broke that in 1985 and we were nine years old Man. and then we were the only black girls in the water. So we, were like we were breaking barriers way back then and still swimmers are still breaking barriers now with um Simone Manuel and then the last Olympics and you know other and Cullen Jones and you know other swimmers like that but we were doing it in the Cab County you know summer league swimming you know um back in the day Man. but those same women who were on that relay team were in my wedding in 2002 and we, two of us went to FAMU, one went to Howard and one went to Georgia Southern. All four of us 
went to college on swimming scholarships. And so they were my friends and we just lost one to cervical cancer this past um, November. So I had to speak at her funeral. Um, One, one actually is, um, you know, she's, she, she suffers from some, from some mental um, illness. And so, you know, it's, it's really two out of the four now, but these women are so special to me and will always be special to me. And so that friendship is the same type of love and friendship I want the girls in my organization to feel. And the experiences that I had with all of the sports is to learn how to figuratively and literally fall down and get back up. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of women who are in the C-suites and who are entrepreneurs and who lead Fortune 500 companies, the majority of them, this is a proven fact, played some type of sport. And it's something that uh, sport teaches you uh, that gives you the discipline and it gives you um, the mental toughness that you need to deal with certain things that life will throw at you. I am forever grateful. And I'm happy that I'm like I'm thinking about when we get off of this call, like I got to squeeze in a workout before I go get <laughs> the kids. So I have to like it, it teaches me the discipline now that, you know, at 42, I feel like I've, I'm stronger than I've ever been. But because I was an athlete my entire life, I don't want to be anything but that. Yeah. So that's what it taught me. Man. So, <laughs> so, I mean, of course, in order to get like scholarships, you got to be really good. You're talking about you broke records. What was your internal dialogue like before you competed in a swimming match? Like, what did you say to yourself? Oh, I just had to, you know, you got to run your race. You got to swim your race. Swim your race. And although swimming was a team sport, you still had to run your race or swim your own race. It's you against the water. Of course, the person next to you, but it's you against the water. Mm. And everything mechanically has to be right because any extra breath, any uh, uh, ill-placed um, arm or hand, if your your fingers are spread, like anything can change, anything can change everything. Pretty much when you when you swim, it's got to be a perfect race. And so I would always just say, just just swim your race, just swim your race to know the way you know how to do it. And we were winners, like we always wanted to win. And once you have, I, I say this in our promo video for Sporty Girls, when you teach a girl how to win, like that's what she wants to do for every and everything in her life. She wants to win at everything, but you learn how to face defeat and you learn how to lose, but you always want to win. You'll find a way to win. And so that's what I did. That's what we did. Find a way to win. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm guessing you lost some matches. Oh, of course. So what, what did your parents say to you after you lost a match? Like, what was that Uh, conversation like? (laughs) Well, my dad, since he was the coach, I mean, he would say, uh, you know, what we could have done differently or what happened or not really, or just do it better the next time. My mom, my mom, she couldn't, (laughs) she couldn't swim a lick. So, I mean, she said some things that I, you know, still resonate with me to this day Uh that have come up in therapy. Uh (laughs) So not, I, you know, I don't want to say that she's, she's an amazing woman and she loves me. She's one of my biggest fans, but there are some things that probably shouldn't have been said (laughs) that, you know, that will, you know, can be carried on throughout throughout uh, childhood and adulthood if you're not careful. So I'm trying to learn from those things so that I don't repeat the cycle, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, 
I completely understand. Yeah. Now, kind of transitioning into into college, I was watching an interview that you had done, and I heard you recall that it was one of the best decisions that you made in your life to choose the the college that you went to. Yes. Why is that? And like, what did you learn from your age, uh, from your Uh, experience? And I, uh, there's nothing like, I mean, I know that you're in, and you go to Morehouse on a a different level um, as far as being in medical school, but I, my parents both went to HBC. They both went to Delaware State, which uh, is, is an HBCU. And so growing up, that's all I ever wanted to attend. I had zero desire to go to a PWI. I, it just wasn't on my – I didn't even apply. To, I literally applied to Jackson State, North Carolina A&T, Tennessee State, FAMU, and I think I think those are the four colleges I applied to. Mm-hmm. And I got into Tennessee State, and I was going to go to Tennessee State, but then uh, FAMU, my SAT score shot up, and then FAMU found out I swam, and then they, you know, they gave me a scholarship, and then I was eligible for presidential scholarships, and so that's when I got all of that. But the fact that I could go to a school, and I graduated Coast Salutatory, and so I was, I was, I was book, I'm very book smart. Like I'm not like smart where it's like you know, can know everything without studying. And I'm not one of those people. I got to study and I got to work hard. I'm right. one of those types of smart people. And um, and so it benefited me where I uh, graduated second in my class. And I shared that honor with um amazing woman named Sheila Luke. And uh, when I got to FAMU, I was a co-salutatorian among a whole bunch of co-salutatorians and salutatorians and valedictorians. And I loved it. I loved every moment of it. No, no longer were we the anomaly to be in the top 10 of your class. It was lots of top 10s and top 5s and top 2s. And the beautiful thing is that you could have a guy from Miami with a mouthful of gold, his car sitting on hydraulics with some 22s, and he's in the same sociology class at answering all the questions Man. and getting everything right. And, and or you could have the upper middle, upper class or upper middle class folks from Chicago or Detroit that came down to Tallahassee and everybody in between. And I love the fact that I could love my people and see them in so many different facets of who we are as black people. And it made me love myself even more from that experience. I would not trade it for the world. And I literally am sitting in a FAMU sweatshirt right now. And a uh, straight out of FAMU t-shirt, like under it right now. And I have on some uh, workout clothes, but the it has orange in the pants. So, there, you know, I, it it's got my colors. And I love FAMU. I love everything about my school. When I go back to Tallahassee at homecoming, it's like, I feel like I'm 19 again. Mm. I feel like I'm 19 again. And like it never, it never leaves you. It never escapes you. And I hope that wherever you go to school, whether you choose an HBCU, PWI, you get that feeling about your alma mater. I am a rattler to the core. Man, that is dope. It made, it made you love yourself. That is, that's yes. awesome. Yes. And while you're in school, you're very active. You're on, yeah. you're on TV shows, you're active on campus mm-hmm. in a sorority. Like, how mm-hmm. did you balance everything? Like, did you have a daily checklist that you went through? Like, how did you do it? I have no idea how I did it. I have no, it was the grace of God. 
And again, I think, you you know, going back to starting to swim when I was five and then started swimming year round when I was 10, the discipline was there for that. But then I was, you, like you said, I was very active, very social, very social. So not only was I on local television show called um, um, The Set, and then I was on a campus show called Snake Eyes. And then I was on radio on Monday nights, um, DJ Ray Ray back then. <laughs> and then uh, I was a swimmer. So literally we swam twice a day. So we we either had workouts or weights in the morning and we were back at the pool by 12. And so I would see people going to their classes or going to, you know, their rooms. And I'm like, man, I'm about to be in the pool for like the next three hours. Yeah. And that was all four years. So I swam from August to February, all four years. So, and fam used to get out in March back then. Yeah. So I literally had a month to kick it, but it was all good because, you know, again, that discipline that I had to have, I don't know how I did it all. And then I, I had a, um, a position on the Miss FAMU court. So um, I was the queen of orange and green oh, during my, <laughs> during my senior popular. year. Yeah, I was, I was, I can't even lie. I was. <laughs> uh, and so I did all that and, and I was step master and I was the Ivy League reporter, which was kind of like the person that you had correspondence with the national magazine. And I was responsible for creating and doing all the flyers for all of our parties and all of that stuff. So I have. Oh, yeah. And then I went to school and I graduated magna cum laude. So <laughs> I have no idea. And I think I really think that all of that set the precedent for me being able to handle my life now. And uh, I'm happy for it. I'm so grateful for me having all of those responsibilities at once Man, grateful that is so awesome like thank you that's like you i i know you went to school such a long time ago but yeah. again like <laughs> just kudos to you for doing that like that's great thank that you you're able thank to. you it feels like yesterday it really does i look back <laughs> i'm like dang it was 20 some years ago as long as you've been alive well i've been active <laughs> and doing stuff yeah i mean and, and now i mean you've done so much now of course like sports anchoring radio freelance and acting like what 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 steps did you take when you knew you wanted to take this to the next level like how what was the story behind that hmm. you just gotta keep pushing and the the thing that i love um the most is that people who have watched my career from like people that I don't even know and those who I do know, but particularly those people who don't, who I don't even know. And now they'll come up to me and they'll say, you don't know me, but I've been watching you mm -hmm. and watching you push through because I've had a lot of heartache and public heartache because I've gotten fired from radio stations. Um, you know, um, syndicated morning shows would be put in my place and like all kinds of stuff like and that had to be public. But I realized throughout all this walk that your life has less to do with you and more to do with other people witness, witnessing it mm. and seeing how you're going to handle what is thrown at you. And so if I would have bowed down to the circumstance, I mean, going back to that original question, yeah. then I wouldn't be here right now. I would not be here. You got to continue to press through even when you're weary. You have to continue to press through. And that has been, that is my life. And so I started when I was, it was about four years where I was just like, just, you know, kind of doing freelance work and trying to figure out what was next for me. But I did everything with excellence. 
even in the in, in the valley, doing everything with excellence because I just knew I had it was gonna come, whatever it was, it was it was going to come. But now that I realize your circumstances are what you create. Yeah. You, you know, and we and God has given us the power to create our own circumstance, really and truly. And once we grasp that, therein lies change. And so I started thinking about being on a talk show. I'm like, that's what I really want to do. And so I started studying Wendy Williams mm. and what she did. And, you know, she's a radio girl who has made it into television and is doing extraordinarily well. So I started studying her, her show. Didn't know what was coming down the pike. I didn't know anything. And so uh, when I started my, I started, finally, God finally gave me the idea for my podcast. And the week that I posted that I was starting a podcast coming soon, did the graphic for it and everything was the same week that I got a phone call from the creator of Sister Circle saying she was casting for a new show. Man. And it was because I started to really walk into all of the gifts that God has given me. Or had given me because I I heard it clear as day. I was on East West Connector. I heard it like a voice. And God said, or me finally realizing the power I have that God has given me, everything that you need to go to the next level, you already have. Mm. You already have. But as people, you know, we wait on things. It's going to fall in my lap, God. Please let it fall. No, you got to go make it happen. And when you start making ha- making it happen, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, will see that and say, ah, thank you. Been waiting for you to move. Now, let's go. Mm. And so I had to move. I had to stop sitting and waiting on the sideline, literally waiting for the opportunity to pass me by. And I'm like, oh, there it is. No, create it yourself like you've always done. And the, the beautiful thing that I love about you and millennials is y'all are like, although you're in med school, you have a podcast, you got real estate, you got startup, <laughs> you got all these different things because you all think bigger than what we thought. And so now I have to retrain my mind. Like I think like a millennial now, like I'm like, shit, I'm about to do it. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But why not? Why not? And once you realize you tap into the greatness that you already are, because what I've been learning in, the, in my book, Conversations with God, is we come here ready. Mm. What society makes us do is we unlearn everything that we already know about ourselves in infancy. And now we spend our entire lives trying to relearn and re-remember who we really are when we really are that person already. But we've just been taught not to we've been taught to seek and all of this other stuff. When it's already in us, like you wrote when you were seven years old, I'm going to be a doctor. You knew that mm. you already knew it. And now you're back to what you already knew at seven years old, period. Man. Yeah. I hope, yeah. I hope they, <laughs> man, the last four minutes has been nothing but straight fire. I hope they <laughs> listen to like that should be, that's what somebody should listen to on their morning run, just on repeat. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That was, that's some gold right there. I love that. (laughs) Now, some of the things that you mentioned there, I kind of want to touch on, on some of the hardships that you, you kind of talked about a little bit earlier. And can you tell me the story about when you lost your job while you were pregnant? Ooh. Yeah. So, um, let's see. I was, okay, so let me, I'm trying to give you the whole scenario. So in 2000, when I had my baby, 2008, the fall of 2008, uh, the program director came in. He was like, hey guys, um, 
we need to meet with you guys after work. And my co-host was like, uh, oh, man, we about to get fired. He's got this crazy voice. His name is Griff. Uh, um, we about to get fired. I'm like, no, we're not about to get fired. We were doing well. We were number three in the market. Um, we were the 18 morning show. Everything was going so beautifully well. And so literally that day, 13 people got fired. Our morning show got fired. They said Ricky Smiley morning show was coming in to do mornings. And we were no longer needed. Rashawn, you're moving to middays. Um, the midday queen, Maria Moore, who's also a FAMU graduate, who's now back on the radio, praise God. She was let go that day, like, and I took her place, and I'm like, I'm not, you know, I was a, I'm an ensemble cast type radio personality. I'm great with that. Like, I, I'm amazing, you know, kind of being the quarterback to that type of scenario. So I was horrible in middays. So, um, my agent negotiated, hey, you know, she's still making morning show money. Um, if we don't, renew or you if you guys don't pick up her contract you go either pay her out or you know um it, it'll be over so no if you don't if, if you if you can if you actually extend her contract we want the same amount of money or you pay her out if you let her go and so i'm doing middays it's not good it's horrible and i'm five months pregnant i had an event that night for sporty girls i think i did yeah i think it was a, yeah it was a fundraiser for sporty girls that the station was helping me with and the uh the general manager's assistant came into the studio right after my show he's like hey Rashawn, come on down to, to tim's office and i was like oh okay you know i didn't really think much of it so i go in and i see this manila folder and it says r ali and i was like what's that <laughs> and they were like well today was your last day and uh thank you so much for everything that you've done here at hot 1079 for the last seven years we're going to go ahead and escort you out. Do you have any questions? Just like that. Yeah. They literally escort you out like you're about to blow something up or whatever. And it was like I never put in any work there. And uh, so they paid me out the rest of my, my contract um, for that particular year. They negotiated like three months. And after that, I was like, oh, my God, I don't have any money. What am I going to do? Hmm. And here I am. I had billboards all over the city, 285, 20. I had buses with my face on it, bus stops with my face on it, everything. They had done this huge campaign, and I was in the unemployment line. Yeah, you know, trying to get money for my family. My husband was a teacher, but I still needed to do what I could. So I, so I would make like $500 in a club, you know, for a two-hour spot. That was on the low end, and here I was trying to just make sure I can get $300 a month for my family. And I had gone from making, you know, $165,000 to like, man, I need this $300 so we can, you know, make sure we're all good. And I'd already tapped into my 401k. Well, I was starting to tap into my 401k at that point. That's all depleted now, like all of that. And so that was the first of three times I went to unemployment. That was just the beginning of a, a very uh, low point in my life. But I'm so glad I went through it because you have to go low to go high again, <laughs> you know, but then realizing again, like I said be before, that I had it in me. I just was so in the circumstance and not on the vision that uh, I couldn't see beyond it. I just know that I had a life inside of me that needed me to be as well as I could be. Wow. Yeah. So how mm -hmm. did you go ahead? No, no, that was it. Oh, <laughs> so how did you, you know, you're in, you're in the unemployment. Like, how mm -hmm. did you get back on your, what did you do to get yourself back on your feet and 
back to like where you're at now, killing the game? Well, lots of peaks and valleys again. So during that first year, she was born in in September. So um, I think I, I forgot when I got let go. It may have been April, something like that. And uh, I started getting calls from V103. And, you know, we grew up here. So, you know, you get calls from V103 and it's like, wow, that's the big station. Of course you want to go back and work there. And I started my career um I started my career uh, at Hot 107.9 with Ryan Cameron. And so at that point, he was back at uh, at uh, V103 because he had left Hot 107.9 the third year after I had gotten there, after he chose me after this big contest that we did. And so the program director was like, hey, you know, Frank and Wanda need somebody in the morning. We're thinking about adding a third person. And then Ryan is looking for a new co-host. And I was like, yeah, you know, okay, well, since I already know Ryan – I'll do that. But God was saying to me, no, I don't do that. You know, you hear that voice. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I was like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't give me this opportunity if I wasn't supposed to take it. Like, (laughs) I got to take it. And I need some money. And I want to be back on top. You know, that ego starts to feel like I could be back on the radio and I'll be good. So I left radio in in 09 and I was back. And this was 2010. When Dale, when I walked in there, I knew two weeks in that I was like, this was not a good move. This wasn't it. Could you just I, feel it or was it something? Yes. Like, hmm. you, you could feel it. You could feel it. Um, and it was uh, it was thick. And so I stayed there miserable for a year. And at the time, well, at near the end, when I knew my contract was about to be renewed, I told my husband, I said, I am not going to renew. Are you OK with that? And he was like, are you sure? You know, I told my mom, and she's like, you know, you know how parents are. Oh, we need that good paying job. <laughs> yeah. that, I'm, man, I'm leaving here. I can't yeah. do it. I'm not happy. This is not where I want to be. And then, you know, Ryan knew too. I mean, he's he's a mentor of mine. He knew that I didn't want to be there. Um, he knew that television was the goal. And you know, when we first started in radio, I was I was I was young, and I was, you know, I had these. I did everything he said and, you know, and I was his co-host, but then he left and I became the lead of the show. So I had done all these years just leading shows and having my own thing to now going back to being a co-host and doing traffic reports. And so, and not, not that that's beneath me, but once you've experienced um, it on the other side, you just don't, um, it's hard to go back to. And so one day, and I was finishing up my traffic report because I used to stay over for Greg Street. And they were like, hey, Rashawn, come on down or whatever. And I was like, oh, God, what do they want? And they were like, thank you so much for everything. Um, uh, today was your last day. And I was in my head. I was like, great, because I didn't want to be here either. This is awesome. This is perfect, perfect timing. And so they actually allowed me the opportunity to come and speak on V103 the very next day. And I don't know if you saw that um, on YouTube. but yeah, it was. Yeah. I've seen it. I saw it. And so that was that day that um, and I went home and I wrote from my heart because little did they know I had planned on leaving anyway. But because they came back with that, it was gave me the perfect opportunity to be able to not just quit, but leave and then encourage other people to walk out on faith and go do what they need to do at the same time. So I, I it was a blessing. It was a huge blessing because people still talk about that. Um, YouTube video to this day. Yeah, man. Yeah. man and then cool. it's funny because Ryan, who just left V103 here in Atlanta, um, he said he used that video as motivation when he announced that he was leaving two weeks ago. And I was like, wow, that's so ironic that, you know, he would use that same video that I 
you know. That you did as, years before. Yeah, years before, mm-hmm, eight years before. Yep, Dang. yep. So um, I did that, and then um, I was doing television and stuff and freelancing, and then I started getting calls from the program director slash owner of Streets 94.5, and when he called, I was like, oh, no not radio again. I can't. It's it's just, it's such a love-hate relationship with radio. And then I was like, you want me to be on streets with a Z at the end? I was like, hey, it's too hood. <laughs> it's way good. And you know, I'm a, I'm an A-town girl, so I got my ratchet side and all that stuff. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I have a girl-serving organization. I got two daughters. And the music that they played, I was like, oh, that's really, really raunchy. I don't know. But the my former general manager, who's now uh, deceased, um, was the head of sales there. And little, little did I know, he didn't tell everybody that he was dying from colon cancer at the time. And I, I called him. I said, what do you think about me joining your station? He said, Rashawn, you would give our station instant credibility if you came. And I was like, okay, let me think about this. Okay. And I said, okay, if I do this, I got to go in with a plan to be, be able to um, kind of counter the music. And so what I did when I did get there it was um i started a program at the local boys and girls club, club called reading and radio and so i did like a 8 week session of these kids with these kids at this um local boys and girls club where we correlated reading and 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 the importance it, it serves in radio and they did their own dj names they created they created their own commercials and all of that stuff so i had to like offset it and then i had um Shaquille O'Neal because i was doing stuff at NBA TV during the time too i forgot i, I worked there too and i had a lot of jobs yeah, a lot of everywhere jobs. <laughs> Yeah, um, I got him to sponsor like a Kindle to the person that kind of was the best DJ out of the program. So that made me feel good to offset that. And so 18 months into that particular job, and I told myself not to love it. I was starting to love it. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I was like, hey, guys, continue to support us on Streets 94.5. We're really making moves here. We're doing great. And literally um, the program director's assistant came in he's like hey steve wants to see you and i was like cool cool it's a friday you know i'm chilling i'm like yeah what's happening steve what's going on (laughs) and he was like yeah baby today was your last day and i was like are you lying like for real and i was like he's like yeah and he said uh i said well when do they start this was a friday he said monday and i was like who is it he's like the breakfast club Um. and i was like wow and I and he told me that at 10 a.m. by 10:30, the new Instagram post about their new morning show was up, oh, and I was plan. out of plan the whole time, yeah. and uh, I was out of a job again. But you know, that next month, I got my first opportunity to be on CNN and headline news in sports. So I won still, but um, <laughs> at the end I'll of the day, you still you still yeah. came on yeah. top. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I I'll never do radio again, not in that capacity. Can you tell me about the first time you're on TV, like kind of how you felt and the feelings that was going through your mind? I don't even remember the first time I was on TV. Let's see. It's been so long. Yes. First time I was on TV. How about now before you go on TV? Do you have any, any type of internal dialogue? Do you ever get nervous or is it just so secondhand nature to you that it's just like an everyday thing? Yeah, I still get, I still get a little anxiety, but nothing because uh, I know I'm supposed to be there. Um, I know I'm supposed to be what I'm doing right now every single day. Yeah. Um, so that makes me feel good because I feel so good in that space. Now, when I was doing sideline reporting for CBS, I had a, a different type of anxiety is because I was not supposed to be there as long as I had dragged it out. You know what I mean? Um, 
or drug it out. Which word is it? Yeah, as long as it was dragging out in my career, and uh, it was it was time to leave that space. And the type of anxiety I was having for that was so different um, when it when it when you know it's what you're supposed to be doing. So I, I I tell myself to be big. That's one of the things I say before I walk out every day. Be big, be big, and being big means don't don't downplay your greatness. Don't downplay your greatness because because I'm humble to a fault sometimes, I'll downplay my greatness. And that's something I'm consciously I'm working on, like with my therapist, like everything. Like and I and I say therapy like really loosely because I want people to understand therapy's a good thing. It is. It is, especially, you know, black folks have it's always been kind of taboo. You know, we deal with we deal with things going to the grave. We never, um, you know, really have dealt with in our lives and our lives could have been so much different had we just tackled the the, the triggers in our lives. And uh, I'm just an, I'm an advocate for it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a stigma behind it. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the common misunderstanding is that something has to be wrong with you in order to go to therapy. Nothing yeah. has to be wrong with you. You can oh. go there just to just to talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I encourage more people to do it. Yeah. Now, in an interview you did, you spoke about motherhood and then at first it didn't come to you easy. Yeah. Why do you think that was? I don't really know why it didn't come to me easy easily. I don't need I don't think that there is a real answer for that for me. Uh but what society makes us believe is that we have to be so super doting and so that this thing is going to come so beautifully and naturally to you. And every mother is not like that. Every mother is not the same. I think I've grown into becoming a better mother and I am still, um, there's no, uh, handbook. There's no guidelines to this parenthood thing. And, um, I wish I had a real answer as to why it didn't happen for me like that, but that's just my own story. And why I tell that story a lot is because I think society and other women, other moms will place this type of, this is the type of mom you're supposed to be on you, or you believe that people are placing that on you. And so when you're not that, you feel guilty. Like, why do I not want to be like all cuddly now? And it's okay because children are human too. And like, you know, I remember I had to tell myself it's all right. Like if if sometimes you don't want to be <laughs> around your kids, you know, like they they're little people too. But I just want I just want people to understand that it is okay if it doesn't come to you as beautifully as you had dreamed that it would come to you. That it comes to you in due time. And mine has come to me in due time. And yeah, I probably were, I probably was really hard on myself because I was like, why don't, why don't I act like my sister in loves? And I call them my sister in loves because I love them so much. They're so, it's such great mothers, you know, but everybody's different. I have certain strengths that they might not have and they, you know, I have weaknesses that they have strengths in, but you, you can't compare yourself. That's in life. You just can't do it. But I think my kids think that I'm, pretty damn cool and um i'm doing my absolute best to be the best mother that i can be for them individually too mm. yeah i love yeah. that as yeah. long as your, your kids think you're cool i mean that's yeah that's really what matters you know? yeah it is it is and i just have a couple more questions quickly here before we before we wrap it up uh when you were at least that's what i saw when you were writing your book you know uh, piper skies pink popsicle shoes i found it interesting that you didn't just trademark 
just like the name of the book, but you got like trademarks on multiple aspects of it. Yeah. It kind of seems like you're thinking, you know, long-term versus short-term. Like, have yeah. you always thought in that sense or like, or, or is like a practice that you kind of developed or mindset over t- with time and experience? Time and experience for sure. Um, I think it came from the fact that when I, I had RashawnAli.com in the beginning and I was, I was working with a web person who, you know, back then didn't save it or I didn't get all my credentials. And so I, I was RashawnAli.net for a very long time and then had to fight for RashawnAli.com and finally got it back. Um, so when Piper Sky came up, I, I have a long-term vision for Piper Sky, obviously from animation and to, and to, I want to do uh, sports equipment and, um, sports gear for, for particularly for girls. And so I wanted to go in, in, in as many, um, different categories of trademarking with that, uh, as I could because I just don't want to go back and say, oh man, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't trademark that. I didn't do that. And I've d- tried to do Kusor, but then we have some other ones that, you know, uh, some people that are, uh, saying that, uh, what do you call it? They're contesting the whole thing or whatever. So I, you know, it, it may not be worth it to try to do that one. Um, because Sora is such a, is such a huge word, <laughs> right. but, um, yeah. And even now, and I encourage people too, if you have Dr. Cole, if you have your children's future names in your mind, go to GoDaddy and reserve it. Mm. I encourage people to do that all the time. When I go speak to these, these high schools, I say, like, you have any idea, anything that comes to your mind, go and spend that nine ninety nine a year just to reserve the domain. And so when my children were born, I went and got their websites. I just go and reserve stuff because that's the same thing. The guy who had to sell, I think iPhone or Apple or one of those things back to Apple because he just went and reserved and he got millions from it. Mm. Not that you can, but you just don't want to have to fight for your name when you're ready to use it. So my daughter's names, any idea that I think of any show idea or any domain that I think of, I just go and buy it just because I don't want to fight for it if I come up with the idea or not. So I think it all comes from that. And and then go ahead and get a trademark because if it's trademark, that means I got to do it. I got to push through and do it. <laughs> you know? It's like not not tricking your brain. But it's like, man, yeah. now I have to do it because I'm spent yep. this money. Ooh, I think it's like 275 or whatever it is. Yeah. I spent this money and now I got to go. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. And also – I, I saw where you speak that at a time you're, you know, making a lot of money, you know, you're, you're doing good, doing good for yourself. And over time you kind of blew it all. Yeah. And what did you learn from that? And like, what do you do now to, you know, like balance your finances and make sure that everything's in, like everything's where it needs to be. Still work in progress because <laughs> it is, well, that part is, but you know, God giveth and God taketh away. And when I had it, I just didn't treat it right. I didn't. And it's crazy because you never think growing up mid- middle class, you're like, oh, that'll never happen to me. And you look at these football players and basketball players, they blew all their money. I get it. I totally get it because it just it comes and then it goes so fast. It comes and it goes if you're not disciplined. And so I've had to learn how to be much more disciplined, and especially when I just didn't have it at all. And I'm still coming out of a hole. Now, mind you, 2000, what was that? When I was in radio, that was 2012 to 2014, which was good. And so I'm just now really coming out of, I was freelance for four years and it was seasonal freelancing. And so my husband is a high school teacher and we already know that teachers are underpaid. We all know that. The whole world knows that, that teachers are underpaid. So we're living off of, you know, we were living off of, uh, 
of his salary, really primarily, and, you know, some seasonal work for me. So I'm li- I'm coming out of the hole. And mind you, I just got this sister circle job in 2017, July of 2017. Yeah. So we're coming out of the hole. I'm meeting with a financial planner like next week so we can get there. And what it is is I have stopped putting these stipulations on where I think my life is supposed to be by societal norms. Me and my husband, we just bought our first home together. Congrats. We had a thank you. But in my mind, that was supposed to be a long time ago. You know, that was supposed to be something that I, oh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't make it happen for my family. We went to town home, we, the, 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 the economy tanked and we were stuck there, all of that. So I stopped putting those, um, those dates that, you know, folks put on you. Like, you guys are supposed to have this by now or you're supposed to have this by now. Well, we got it at 42 and we're fine and we love it and we're happy and things are going in the direction that, you know, um, I think is definitely on, on the up and up. But I say all that to say, you know, you got to just continue to walk your walk no matter what it looks like um, to other people or um, compared to other people. If we start just continuing to look up and look in and not look around, all of our lives would be better. Hmm. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Look up and look in and not around. I love that. Yes. Yes. And so, lastly, if you had to give a class on being, you know, successful in media or being a media personality to young women what would you teach them? It's a marathon, not a sprint. I get young women who want to do media, who are ready to be on Sister Circle tomorrow, who are <laughs> ready to, and I love it. You know, I love it. But you got to get some experience. This is how I use, this is how I um, break it down. And we can, you can see this clearly. You know, when a home is built and you see a development, you pass by it every single day and you see, the ground, you see that Georgia red clay or wherever you're from, and you know underneath whether it's going to be a basement or whatever, you know all of the, 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 the plumbing and the, uh, the electrical wiring that has to go into the underground before that foundation is, is laid solid. So I believe that everything from the time I was 26, my first job in radio, to now, um, that all of those inner workings and the, the intricate part of uh, how a home is built was were those years from 26 to 41 and everything and the plumbing everything is set now the slab on that home which is my life is so solid Mm. so now i'm building upon the slab and now because my foundation is so solid and impenetrable nobody can stop me from where I'm going, but you got to have a solid foundation. I think people look over the foundation part and they want the house. You can't have the house without the foundation. So my foundation is solid. So I would tell any young woman who is trying to do this media, make sure your wiring is tight and everything is good. The plumbing, everything is great underneath the slab Mm. and then build your home. Love it. Yeah. Love it. And yeah. I have a couple rapid fire questions. Uh, I have three rapid fire questions. Uh, the first one is what do the first 60 minutes of your day look like? First 60 minutes, I wake up. I um, try to drink a nice room temperature glass of water. I go into my meditation room and I read um, whatever book I'm reading. Now it's Conversations with God. And then I meditate. I do visualization for about, um, I'm up to about five minutes now. So I've just really started this routine. And my visualization, um, I speak 
affirmations in my meditation. So I say thank you for the, you know, I, I have a set amount of money that I want to make with my podcast. And I'm saying I'm so appreciative for the day being beautiful today. Thank you for, so I'm in a state of gratitude. I don't ask for anything anymore. I'm in a state of gratitude because if we don't, we, we don't, if we're not grateful for the experience that we have now, how can create, how can we create the next great experience for ourselves? So I'm creating those experiencing and those experiences in my head and visualizing them as though they are. And I do that. And then I do like a five minute like yoga stretching okay. and, and get on with my day. You know, I'm the first person up. I obviously have to be on set early and then I ride to work. Either I listen to a YouTube motivational video or see what's going on, on the radio because I'm still a radio snob and I like listen to the radio. I'm like, oh, my God, that was a horrible break or, oh, great question. Oh, man, you should have gone to that break quicker. Why are they playing that bed so loud? You know, just like stuff like that because I still I still I'm in love with the art of radio. Great. I don't like the politics, but still in love with the art of radio. So the first 60 minutes, by the time I get to the, the station, that's my first 60 minutes of, of my day. Great. And what time are you normally up? A quarter to five. Quarter to five. Four, okay, mm-hmm. great. Uh, mm-hmm. If you had $50 million and you cannot spend any of it on yourself, what would you spend it on and why? These are great questions. <laughs> I would make sure that my daughter's education and everything that they wanted to do in their life was set up. I want them to be set up and I don't want them, I don't want money to be an issue for them ever. Uh, continue to pay for I have one daughter in private school. Go ahead and knock all that out <laughs> immediately. I would build my facility for sporty girls because I do have a dream of build, building a facility for uh, girls who are elite athletes, but you know, girls for all skill levels with, uh, an Olympic sized swimming pool, golf course, um, lacrosse fields, soccer fields, tennis courts, and also dormitories because I wanted to be the hub for, um, athletes, uh, in the Southeast. And I would, um, donate to as many worthy causes that I could think of, um, that, uh, are beneficial to youth, to women, um, to nonprofit organizations across the country. I would love to do that. I just want to plant seeds and, and really truly be a giver. But I, I want to make sure my children, I don't want money to be an, ever be an issue with them. I just don't. I don't want them to be limited by resources and financial um, or, or anything that um, they dream of doing. I want them to be able to do. Great. So that's what I would do with it. Yeah. And do you have a quote that you live your life by? Oh. The one I live my life by, as I mentioned it, your story, your journey has less to do with you and more to do with other people witnessing it. I just know that I've been given a platform. We all are given a platform and we shouldn't put other people's platforms. uh, We shouldn't make them larger than ours are for ourselves because you have a platform wherever you are, whether you're in a cubicle, whether you are uh, in janitorial services uh, at a local elementary school. You can affect someone's life, a child's life, by at least making them smile, by something you say, by the way you live your life. And we should never minimize any any person's influence. But I'm very responsible with the platform that I have on Sister Circle because with all of the experiences that I've had with artists and, and, and just in my life and all of the different uh, jobs and scenarios I've been in, I told God that I would be responsible when given the opportunity to be able to uh, show people how it's supposed to be done. And I know that he is pleased. 
And I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And where can people reach you at if they want to know more about Ms. Rashawn Ali? How can they get in contact with you? Well, I am um, at Rashawn Ali everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I got a fan page on Facebook because my personal page is to the limit. Um, also, um, Sporty Girls, um, Sporty Girls Inc. everywhere, sportygirlsinc.org. Um, cool Sore War, that is my uh, my podcast, the Cool Sore podcast. So that's coolsore.com. Um, but RashawnAli.com, uh, we are we are currently revamping that site because I want to make it like just extremely dope. Um, but that will be the hub for everything. But you can find me socially at Rashawn Ali everywhere. Oh, well, Rashawn, it's been such a great pleasure talking to you. And I hope people took notes during this interview and had little <laughs> snippets that they replay when they run in the morning. Uh, thank, you. thank you so much. This is my pleasure. And you, sir, are an amazing interviewer. And I judge <laughs> people. <laughs> you, did a, you did a fantastic job. And I can only see greatness from here. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Sean Ali. I had a really fun time recording that with her. And if you want to hear her podcast, I have an episode that we did together over there on the Cool Sora podcast. And I will put a link to that in the description, which you can find at www.convoswithcole.com. C-O-N-V-O-S-W-I-T-H-C-O-L-E.com. And again... Guys, subscribe so you don't miss a good content. It'd be a shame to, you know, just have a great interview and and you missed it because you weren't subscribed, you know? <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And until the next time, have a great day.